Good morning, Journey Church. Good to see everybody out. And uh, there's a lot of folks out there today. And uh, those of you who are out in uh, virtual land joining us online, it's good to have you with us today or Facebook Live, wherever you may be. And uh, welcome, welcome. Had a great week last week with our granddaughter. Uh, she's pretty awesome. Did I mention I have a granddaughter? I don't know if I mentioned that or not. Uh, but anyway, keep that in mind. Uh, but uh, we did enjoy that and great to be back. You know, a lot of you know I spent some time uh, native Kentuckian. Never get that confused. I'm a Kentuckian, but I spent some time in Indiana. I don't compliment Indiana a great deal. I spent too much time there. Nothing personal, but any rate. But one thing I do want to compliment them on. This past week, I heard that they had passed a law, signed into law by the governor, uh, called the Church is Essential Act or law. And what it does, it ensures that churches and religious organizations are treated equally during a public crisis. So I give kudos to Indiana on that and a little bit of shame to Kentucky. Yeah, we can applaud for Indiana. Never thought we would do that here, but, uh, but I'm a little bit of shame for Kentucky, to be honest with you. We had a House Bill 218 that was introduced early in the session. However, Republican leadership refused to assign that bill to a committee, and uh, so it died uh, without any life at all. You know, what's interesting is we never, ever thought that a bill like this would possibly ever be necessary, right? But the past year has kind of proven us wrong. And because the church, which has been for many, many years viewed as integral in a culture or a community, a lot of towns, when they started, actually gave a church a place to build, a lot to build, because it was such an important part, has been, in fact, viewed as non-essential in this crisis, and you, if you don't, if you've listened to the news, which I'm sure most of us do, many states have seen their governors and mayors make decisions that discriminate against churches, including our own state. Probably you remember last Easter that the mayor of Louisville banned churches from having services even in the parking lot if they didn't even get out of their cars. It was against the law to even come into one common place together. And we see that on a state level, we've read stories about police officers that were tasked with going through church parking lots, taking down license numbers of attendees, churches that were shut down while other services were allowed to be open, including liquor stores, gun shops, bars, strip joints, gyms, and unbelievably, abortion clinics, because these were considered to be essential while churches were not considered to be essential. By the way, abortion clinics did a booming business. Since the pandemic began in March of 2020, there have been almost 5,000 human babies aborted in Kentucky alone, 5,000. While those who have died of the pandemic is about 6,500, knowing they weren't avoidable, but abortion was avoidable, right? So since when is abortion essential and worship is not? Those are questions that we ought to struggle with in our mind. You know, our culture has already minimized the importance of the church in many ways, and this past year has simply, I believe, accelerated the process. The habit of worship attendance has been lost by a lot of people and may never, ever return. In 2020, the number of people who, in the U.S., Americans who said they were affiliated to a congregation fell to a historic low of 47%. And only 27% of Americans planned on attending an Easter service this year. So government doesn't seem to think that the church is essential, and the lost world certainly doesn't believe the church is essential. And an increasing number of believers are valuing the church less and less. 
And so for several months now, it's been on my mind to ask the question, is the church essential? And if so, why? Is the church essential? I mean, a lot of us put a lot into the church. It's a very important thing to us. So are we wasting our time or is it really important? Is it valuable? And I want to talk about that. In fact, for the next week, few weeks, we're going to do that and why we believe, obviously, the church is absolutely essential. You know, in our world today, we seem to have misplaced our fears and values. Uh, somebody said we have everything upside down. I think that may be true. In our world today, we have a fear of COVID. To be honest with you, the chances of surviving it are pretty good, 98, excuse me, 99.8%, even if you get it. We have this fear, it overwhelms, it dictates and controls everything we think and do, but we don't fear the worst pandemic ever, which is sin. By the way, it's 100% going to affect you, 100%, and it's also 100% fatal for eternity if you are not, if you don't get a vaccine for it, and the vaccine for sin is the blood of Jesus Christ, and it's 100% effective. Have we kind of lost the priority of what's important and what's not in our world today? And here's the thing, the church is the only place giving out the vaccine. The only place giving it out. How important is the church? Obviously, you think, you know, I believe it's pretty important. And God's been kind of burning this message into my heart, these messages for several months now. And, uh, and, and we're not going to bash everybody. It's not the goal at all. But I'll ask you to at least listen if you disagree, all right? And don't send the cards and letters, you know, uh, really. Um, but the reality is that people have a mixed view of the church. But I believe the church is essential. I believe it's essential, and I'm going to try to prove that. Uh, but let's ask the question, is the church essential for God? What does God think of the church? Well, God gave his only son to come down and establish the church and plant the church, I think it's pretty important for him. Is the church essential to Jesus? Does he, does he think much of it? Well, let me ask this, is the bride essential in a wedding? Never done a wedding without a bride, ever. It's pretty important, isn't it? Because the church is a bride of Christ. The Bible also says this, that the church is a gift from God to Jesus. Jesus said in John 17, you gave them to me. So if we are given to God, isn't that pretty important uh, by God to Jesus? Isn't that pretty important? The church was part of God's plan from the very beginning. The church has God's plan in mind and God's hand and his fingerprints all over it. Everything in history was set in place to prepare for the church, its birth and its growth and in every way, it has Jesus written all over it. Is the church really essential? I think it is. Let me read a passage of Scripture to you from Matthew chapter 16, where Jesus talks about the church. It says, when the disciples came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? And they replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, still others, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked, who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Judah, Jonah, for this was not revealed to you, excuse me, by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. And it's an amazing scripture that I've, I've thought about a lot over the last few months as Jesus talked about the church. 
So I'm gonna look at that and kind of break it down and I wanna ask the question, why is the church essential? Why do I think it is so, so important today? First of all, I think the church is essential because of its title, the very essence of what the church is. Jesus said, I will build my church. You know, this is the first mention of the church in the Bible, but after this, it's mentioned over 110 times in the rest of the New Testament. And the word that's used there is the word ecclesia. Now, what is the word ecclesia? The definition of that would be a regularly scheduled assembly of people with a common goal. So a group of people who come together with a goal in mind. When God's people gather, they are the church. We are the called out people. We are different from the rest of society around us. Do we look and act like others? Maybe far too often, but we are called out and we come together. We are the ecclesia. And the church has kept that identity and has gathered for over 2,000 years. But the question might be, why do we have to gather to be the church? Why do we have to gather? It's a great question, isn't it? Even before COVID, people have tried to minimize the importance of attending services. It's kind of baffling to me. And I don't know how many people who have insisted almost to the point of arguing, you don't have to go to church to be a Christian. Let me first of all admit that going to church doesn't save you. There are probably a lot of people who go to church that don't know the Lord, right? The Bible says that we are not saved by going to church. We are saved by, by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. But in the Bible, in every instance or reference to a Christian, it's in the context of a gathered group of people or around other believers. So as the church, we are part of a body. We are a family. We are a team. We all have our gifts. We all have our functions, and we work together. So let me ask you, can you be an arm if you don't have a body? Can you be a child if you don't have a family? Can you be a football player if you don't have a team? Can you be a bee without a hive? Can you be a drummer without a band? I think you get the point, right? Why would you want to do that if you don't have any connection? And where do you get your life from if, and your support from? Where is your home if the church isn't important? Why do we gather as a church? Let me give you some good reasons. First of all, our gathering empowers us. It empowers us to go out and deal with the world around us. There is power in being together with other believers, I've had a lot of people come up and say, oh, I'm so glad to be back in church, or, or even before this, I love the church, my family, being together and fellowshipping. I have never had anybody tell me how much they have grown spiritually by not going to church. I've had a lot of people insist it's not important, but I've never heard anybody say, the best thing I ever did was quit going to church, and I've grown so much. Never happened. In fact, I've never heard anybody say, Man, I'm telling you, being there is one thing, but being at home is even better. I mean, I grow and I learn and I fellowship, but it doesn't happen, right? Technology is great if it is the best that we can do. If it is the best that we can do. I want to focus on that phrase just a second. You know what? For a time, it was the best we could do, but it's not the best that we can do today. It really isn't. It's convenient, it's easier but it's not personal and it's not very empowering. Technology is not gonna do us for us. I've been a lot of Zoom meetings. I have never left one and thought, man, it was so great to be together after that Zoom meeting. I mean, I hate Zoom. It's a necessary evil. It gets information and business done, but you can't look each other in the eye. You can't shake hands. You can't hug. We're gonna hug again someday, all right? There's something about the gathered church 
that we need spiritually. It's how God made us. Hebrews chapter 10 says, and let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day approaching, spurring one another on, encouraging one another, supporting each other. We all need that. And that's the second point is that our gathering fulfills our need for community. We were not meant to be alone. We're hearing about the mental, the problems of mental health of this pandemic, right? And the, and the rate of suicides and alcoholism and addiction and everything else as people try to figure out what do you do about the hole in your life that people have left or that you ha- has been created there? What do you do? We were meant to be with other people. Babies with no human contact experience a condition called failure to thrive. We know about that, Right? The church provides a community of togetherness and partnership and fellowship and brotherhood and sisterhood. We need each other, and each other need us. And unfortunately, a lot of Christians are suffering, even before this, a failure to thrive spiritually because they insist on going alone. And it is so hard, if not impossible, to do, to be honest with you. You know, in the Bible, there's a term that's used, uh, one another. That term is used 70 times in the Bible to focus on our need for each other. Discipleship, it doesn't happen in isolation. It only happens in community. It requires proximity and presence. And we can gain information online. You know, we can get facts and, and information, but we don't get the same thing as being with the body of Christ, the church. So I would just say this, if you're part of our online community, thank you, thank you. But I wanna encourage you to use it only when you can't gather with us, not as a replacement for that. There are times, last Sunday, I was out of town. I was with you guys online, but it wasn't the same as being here. It was a great service, Tony did a great job, but it wasn't the same as being here. It's not a replacement, it's sometimes the best we can do. We rob ourselves of the spiritual support and encouragement that the church can provide. We need that. Thirdly, the church and the gathering provides accountability. It provides accountability. When we are with other people, there is a level of accountability that you don't have when you're alone. Believe me, I know that. I spent a few weeks sitting at home, you know, when I was sick uh, uh, with this, and there's no accountability. Have you ever sat in a service And you hear a convicting message or a song that you need, but you don't want. And you're squirming and you know you need to hear it, but you don't want to hear it. And there's nowhere to go. And you know you're going to look even worse if you get up and go out. You know, you know you need it, but you don't want it, right? And you wish you could avoid it. And it's easy at home. Turn it off, right? Turn it off, you know. I've had several people tell me, man, I love, I love online because when I get tired of you or somebody else, I just go somewhere else. <laughs> and I just flip from one channel or one website to another and I pick and choose what I wanna hear. That's nice and convenient, but is that what's best for us? Is that what really is gonna help us grow spiritually for a consumer, literally a consumer mentality to go from one message to another to flip until I hear something that I want to hear? We all need to hear truth. And we need people in our life who can love and confront us. There have been many times when people would say, you know, that service, a lot of times they'll say, you really got on my toes today, but I needed that. And so if I'm at home and somebody's on my toes, I'm, I'm gonna get away from it. There's no accountability there. We need that in our community, our gathering. Gathering also allows us to serve our community. 
We come together and we hopefully equip ourselves and then we go out. You can't help people on a Zoom call or you can't help people on a Facebook Live gathering, right? Gathering provides a place and structure to serve the critical needs of our community and it reminds us that we are part of something bigger and better than we are alone. We look out around us today. Just look around. This is an awesome view. It's bigger than me. All I see at home is me. I don't see everybody else. And we need to know that we're a part of something bigger of that. I've heard people say throughout this, you know, the church was never closed. And that's a nice platitude to say, but I only halfway agree with that, to be honest with you. Because to be honest with you, the church was closed. The building was closed. The, the church was shut down for a few months there back last year. We made the best of it, but it wasn't the best. And I don't like that statement because I don't want to pretend that it was normal or acceptable. I don't want to pretend that was okay. You know, the church was never closed. The church was closed, unfortunately. The ministry went on. God blessed and continued. But the church and the gathering is essential. The church is essential because of what it is. The church is a gathering of people. But secondly, the church is essential because of its foundation. This is even more important, more foundational, if you will. Matthew chapter 16, Jesus said, I will tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. Now, at first glance, it seems like that Jesus is saying, Peter, I'm going to build my church on you. You're such a solid, dependable guy. But if you know anything about Peter, you know that's not true. So that's led to all kind of confusion, thinking that Peter was the first pope. By the way, there's zero proof of that. Or that Peter had some great power and some great character and strength. He was a pretty uh, flippant guy sometimes. But let me explain what it really means here. The word Peter does mean rock, it, it, but it means a little bitty rock, a pebble, a petros, as the word in Greek. It's a little bitty rock, and you know, you walk on a step on a rock and it might throw you because it's not solid, right? But when Jesus said rock, he uses the word for a massive rock, a foundational rock, what we call bedrock, and that's a different word, that's called petra. So yeah, there's two differences, a little rock and there's a big rock. Peter's a little rock, there's a big rock, and Jesus is not building his church on Peter because we know that there were other, other times later on that he had to be confronted about his sin, right? So what in the world is he trying to say? What is the rock that Jesus is building it on? It is the confession that Peter had just made. And what did he just said? He said, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. That's what the church is built on. 1 Corinthians 3 says, for no one can lay any foundation other than that which is already laid, which is Jesus Christ. That is the foundation, that fact. The church is built on the fact that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. The church is so important and essential because it is built on the fact that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and he gave his life for the church. Before you ever minimize the church and question, is the church important? Is it worth my time, effort, giving whatever, my talent? realize what the church is built on Jesus. It is that important to him, and it should be important to us. And even beyond that, the church is essential because of its owner. Who does own the church? Jesus said, I will build my church. My church. What makes a painting valuable sometimes? Is it what it looks like? But no, because everybody has a different opinion about what, what's good art, right? What makes it valuable is who painted it, who it belongs to, the author of it. 
It may not be extraordinary, but if it's painted by a certain painter, I mean, it's valuable regardless of what it looks like. The church is valuable and it's important and essential because it belongs to Jesus. Jesus dreamed it, he planned it, he designed it, and he died for it. The church costs the life of the Son of God, and it belongs to him, and it should be everything to us. It is more than essential, it is everything. Guys, you see, the church doesn't belong to the government. In England, I'm told the church does belong to the government, they own it. But if you look at your history in America, the freedom of religion was paid for by patriot's blood, so there would not be any ownership of the government or control. I mean, that was a part of our country's foundation. There is a separation of church and state. But that's misunderstood. Some people feel that means the church should stay out of public issues. We're already told, don't get involved in issues. That's not what we were founded on, right? In fact, what the issue was, the the state should stay out of church business, Let me read the First Amendment to you. Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof or abridging the freedom of speech or of the press or the right of the people peaceably to assembly. That was in our, that's the First Amendment that we have. Why? Because they realized how important the church was and they had been under the oppression of of a government that controlled the church. And when we hear about the separation of church and state, Don't be so concerned that the church not get involved in matters of the public opinion out there because the church was designed to influence the world. We have to do that. We have to make a difference in that. The church, the people must influence government according to God's plan, and we are the one that speaks for God. The church is. See, Scripture is our authority, not the opinions of man or parties. And when men try to to control the church, it always gets way off track. I love what Ronald Reagan, President Ronald Reagan said. He said, the most terrifying words in the world are, I'm from the government and I'm here to help. He said, that's terrifying to think about that. Now, we are to honor the government as long as it's possible and to a point, all right? Hear me out because I think there's a biblical precedent for this. Skip Heitz had said, A Christian is be a good citizen until being a good citizen means being a bad Christian. We may not like what the government has to do, what we're told to do, their laws, but we should obey until man's laws contradict God's laws. And then sometimes, and guys, you know, Tony talked about this last week, we might have to be like Peter and the other disciples who were told, when they were told to stop preaching the gospel, they said, we must obey God rather than men. We're on a slippery slope here. We are that we have to really be cautious about. And I really want to believe that the mandates that we've had for the church the last few year, uh, last year are for the public's good. But to be honest with you, sometimes it feels like that they are a way for government to flex its muscle to see how far it can go to control what the church does. That's what burdens me a little bit. I'm a law-abiding citizen. You know me pretty well, those of you who know me. But this kind of troubles me a little bit. Because what happens when we're told that we can't address controversial issues that the Bible is clear on because it won't be for the public's good? What happens then? That the church, the Bible, the truth of God's word, it hurts people. And that's not for the public's good. Guys, I believe that's coming down the road. And that's why I think it's important that we understand that discipline we need is to endure persecution if necessary to stand for God. We must obey God rather than men. Why? Because it is more important. He is more important than men's word and men's authorities. 
because we're making it up as we go in our country at this point, unfortunately. All right, move on. The church is essential because of its future. Because of its future, Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not overcome it. The gates of hell. That's an interesting phrase. It represents the authority of hell, the power of sin and death and Satan. You see, you can open up the gates of hell and they will be against the church. A lot of anything against the church is, is Satan's got a thumb in that, you know, or a whole hand in it more than, more than a thumb. But you can open up the gates of hell, you can turn Satan and his demons loose in the earth, you can persecute the church, you can torture and kill believers, you can burn and tear down church buildings like they do in China today, you can demonize believers who choose to gather in spite of danger, you can um, mandate church closings, you can sue churches and intimidate preachers and leaders, but the church of Jesus Christ isn't going away. It is never going away. The church will rise up stronger than ever. In fact, history has shown that persecution, while no one wants that, actually makes the church much, much stronger. It strengthens the church and grows in countries like China and Iran. People today ask, will the church survive COVID? Some churches will not survive COVID because they were weak and struggling and churches die every day, unfortunately. But will the church survive COVID? The good news is the church will survive. It will survive. It may be smaller in numbers right now because, to be honest, COVID has thinned out some people who were just holding on. Some people were just going through the motions for guilt or habit or whatever. But you know what? Actually, some believe the church will actually come from this, be stronger. It will have a stronger core, a stronger mission because the mission endures, the church endures. Don't count the church out. Don't ever count the church out. It has a history of overcoming even the greatest threats. And here's a perfect example of that. Jesus said in Matthew 16, he would build the church. Nothing would overcome it. But what happened? Within days, Jesus is on a cross and Jesus is dead. And people thought, well, so much for the church, right? But we know what happens, right? After that, there was Easter. And then the day of Pentecost when the church began. And then the massive expansion of the gospel. It wasn't over. It was just beginning. Don't count the church out because you can't count Jesus out. So the question is not, will the church survive COVID? The real question is, will your faith survive COVID? Will your faith survive? You know, I, I respect this virus, and I don't want you to think I'm minimizing it. Some cards and letters, again, I'm minimizing the faith. I, I'm not doing that. It's serious, to be honest with you. A lot of people have died from it. I had it last year. You all, most of you know that. And I have to admit, I was concerned, you know, you get diagnosed with it and you're like, wow, you know, where's this going to go? I don't want it again. You know, it wasn't bad. I didn't, I didn't really have any symptoms, but, but I chose to be vaccinated. I know that's somebody, it's another whole other thing there. And I try to do what I can, but I have no regrets for the last year either because I live life. I got, I got it, got over it, live life. But here's the thing. If I had gotten really sick and died... I know it would have been God's will. And today I'd be in heaven. I'd be looking down on you guys going, I'm sorry. But you guys are still there. Hang in there. It's great up here, you know. So I don't understand why as Christians we're terrified of dying. Paul said, for me to live is Christ, to die is gain. And you're not going to die until God lets you, okay? Just please know that. But the real question is not when, it's are you ready to die? Are you ready to die? Because you don't have to have COVID to die. 
You can die of any number of things, as we know all day. It's not funny, but it's funny how we think that we should be scared of things. We should trust God. Here's what the church is for, to help you get ready for you to die and go to heaven. That's why it's essential. Nobody else is doing that. Everybody else is out there trying to keep you alive forever, and it's not going to happen either. And, and I'm all about medicine. I try to take care of myself. I go to the doctor when I get sick, all right? I don't want to die, but when I do, it's going to be better. You know, I hear people talk about the cost of this virus, and obviously there have been a lot of people who have passed from it, and that's sad, and hor- horrible ways to die. I know that. But the in, in the, at the end of the day, at the end of the world, the real cost of this virus is not going to be lives lost. Because all of those lives that were lost were going to die at some point. The real cost is going to be souls lost. That is, that's where it's going to matter in eternity. You know, one church that I follow, a large church, acknowledged that they normally baptize hundreds of people and that last year they baptized 60. We, in a typical year, we will baptize 30 to 40 people and last year we baptized nine. I wonder how many people will be lost because the church was closed. How many people will be lost because of this whole thing? How many people will never return to church and gradually drift away from Christ in their relationship? That's the real cost of this whole thing in the end, at the end of the day. The church points people to a saving relationship with Christ, provides discipleship development, helps keep us anchored to Christ. It is essential. In fact, God thought it, obviously thought it was, or he would never have given his only son to create it and save it. The church is essential. We are essential to each other. And guys, we are essential to a lost world because the church is the hope of the world. That's why it's essential. Now, I want to encourage you today. I hope this has not been discouraging or, or, or anything. I want to encourage you, you know, whether it's the virus or maybe just life that prompts people to stay home. If you're able to get out, I know it's convenient, but it's not the same. You can't serve from your couch. You can't have community from your recliner. You can't experience the power of a room full of believers worshiping together from your living room because that's not who we are. The church is the gathering. It's the ecclesia, the body of Christ for a common purpose. We are involved. We don't watch. We engage We give, we serve, we sacrifice, we encourage, we do life together. And we have to be careful that we don't turn that off or decide that's not important anymore. The church needs you for its mission. Our mission is to move people on a simple journey toward Jesus. The more people we have moving and the more people we have helping other people move, the more people will move, right? That's why we need one another. We need to be encouraged. So let me just say this, for those who are listening online, if you can get out, get out. Do it safely, get out. Wherever you are, we have people who watch us all over the place in other states, probably not other countries, but other states for sure. Find a local church where you can be a part of the faith community and use your talents to advance the kingdom of God because the church is absolutely worth everything that you have. And one day, as we do this series, we're going to see where the church came from. We're going to see how the church got to where it is today, which I think is really interesting. But one day, we're going to experience the final message. It's going to be the victorious church. And what's that going to look like one day in heaven? I'm looking forward to that. 
I really am. Until then, let me encourage you to know how important the church is because it's Jesus, it's his church.